0: Ecclesiastes 11 opens dealing with investments. And I just got to tell you up front that I know very, 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 very emphasis on very little about investments. In fact, at the church here, we've got a company called Guidestone that works with us pastors that basically helps us with our retirement plans. And, and they sit down with us and they explain things that we don't understand, or at least I don't understand. Let me not throw all the pastors under the bus that I don't understand, um, but I'm thankful that they do. In fact, there's two types of people in the world. When you get a new iPhone, uh, there's the type of person that looks at that tiny black app with the green squiggly line or whatever color it is on there uh, and opens it up and, and begins to customize your stock report based on your portfolio. I think I'm using those words correctly. Um, and you go through there and you check that stocks app like I check Twitter. In other words, it's uh, about two minutes in between the times that you open up the stocks app just to check and see if anything new has happened in the, the financial world. That's person one, right? That's not me. Person two, and this is me, looks at the, the iPhone that they just got, pulls it open, looks at that and says, oh, I don't use that app and deletes it. And the reason is because I, I could open it and I could pretend, Pastor Lucas knows the stocks app, right? I mean, he, that guy, he, he's tuned in to stuff like that. So I could sit next to him on the plane and, and open that up and, and look at those numbers, but it would be like me trying to read you know, Hebrew, which I, I still don't fully wrap my mind around. It just doesn't make sense to me. And so you say, okay, well, Pastor P.J., then why in the world are you here to, to preach to us about investments? Well, it's not an opportunity for you to come make a sales pitch to me to be my financial advisor. Uh, I, it would not be a good return on your investment in, in me to do that. But the reason we're talking about investments this morning is because the Bible is talking about investments this morning. The reason we're talking about finances this morning is because the Bible's talking about finances this morning. Solomon, again, is is making his final approach into his destination, right? As I was flying back, again, from the Promised Land of the Wilderness this week, I was on the plane, and the pilot came on, the the speaker, the PA, whatever, and said, you know, flight attendants, prepare the the cabin for landing. And they come through, and they tell everybody, get your seat back up, and then they go past, and people put their seat back, back down, and they come back through again and say you put your seat back up and you can sense the annoyance level going up, but you know what that's like. They're getting you ready for your final approach. Well, Solomon's getting us ready for his final approach in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, and we're not there yet. And so what he's doing is he's giving us some last-minute bits and and nuggets of wisdom. Last week in chapter 9 and chapter 10, as Pastor Rod was here with you, uh, that's what that all is. It's proverbial nuggets of wisdom that Solomon is giving us. And in kind of saying, okay, in light of all of this, I've, I've indicted life under the sun as vanity, but I don't want you to walk away from this discouraged and upset. In fact, that's part of our, our goals for this book, is we don't want to walk away saying, man, I hate Ecclesiastes. We want to walk away saying, I love Ecclesiastes, because it helps me to learn how to live life under the sun. Well, that's what Solomon's doing right now. It helps me to, to have a loose grip on the things of the world. Well, that's what Solomon's going to teach us in this chapter. It's helping us to, to think to myself, well, how can I prepare myself for the behemoth seat? Well, that's what Solomon's doing in this ending as he's beginning to, to land the plane for us in this book. And he does so in the passage that we're looking at this morning by turning to this subject of investment. So pick up your Bibles in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Solomon says, "'Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days.'" Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Solomon begins there, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Solomon begins with some very practical advice. It may be advice that you heard from your dad when you were growing up. It may be advice that you've given to others throughout your lifetime, perhaps even your kids, and that is this. He's saying in these opening verses here, diversify your investments. That's Solomon's message to us as it opens. He talks about our bread and our portion. Those two concepts, those two words are referring to the same thing. It's the resources that we have and primarily, fundamentally, he's talking about our finances. Your bread, he says, cast your bread upon the waters. Well, what does that mean? Well, if we go back to 1 Kings chapter, uh, chapter nine, rather, And even before that, 1 Kings chapter 5, we see an example of Solomon doing this. In 1 Kings chapter 5, Solomon, if you recall, writes a letter to King Hiram shortly after taking the throne. And Solomon writes this letter to King Hiram, and he says to Hiram, hey, you know what, you guys have a lot of lumber where you are, and we need lumber for the construction of the temple. I'm building a temple for my God because my God is the greatest God of all gods, right? He says, and I, I want to make it beautiful, and you have the supplies that I need, and so Here's what I'd like, Hiram, I'd like for you to supply me with lumber and timber, and in turn, I will supply you with food. Do you remember that interaction there between those two? See, Solomon is bartering. He's making a trade with this pagan king, with Hiram. Well, then we go over to 1 Kings chapter 9, and we find at the verses 26 and following, Solomon says, or rather, 1 Kings chapter, yeah, 9. I read the wrong passage last night. You guys see the benefit of coming to Wednesday morning? I totally read the, they must have, and they were so gracious, nobody came up to me and said, Pastor P.J., what in the world were you talking about? First Kings chapter 9, not 1 Kings chapter 10. This makes way more sense, by the way. I was reading this last night going, okay, I can make this work, but I, I don't think this is what he was driving at. Wow! 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 26. The rest of this message better be good, because this is the one I got to upload, because I totally referenced a wrong passage last night. King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram, there's Hiram again, sent with the fleet of his servants, seamen, who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and brought from there gold, 420 talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. So there we see again King Solomon employing what? Trade, right? He's going out on the waters. Cast your bread on the waters. This is the picture of sea trade. In fact, the passage that I read last night, which does fit in some extent, talks about how he amassed all of the horses and all of the chariots from Egypt. Well then, Solomon took those horses and chariots that he amassed from Egypt and he bartered with the others that were in the territory and he sent them off to the the other areas, the other kings, the other nations around him and turned a profit on that. So Solomon invested wisely the resources that he had been Provided. And that's what he's talking about. Cast your bread on the waters. There are some that believe that he's talking about generosity here, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I think his primary focus here is on investing wisely. And he's talking about through doing business shrewdly, uh, through in- engaging in this sea trade of the day. Well, next he says, not only cast your bread upon the waters, but he also says that we should take our resources, our finances, and he says, give a portion to seven or even to eight. Uh, There's been too much ink spilled on trying to evaluate the significance of those numbers seven and eight And, And i'm here to tell you that it's just the two numbers that popped into solomon's mind He could have said give a portion to three or four give a portion to 10 or 11 But just so happened that he said give a portion to seven or eight and what he's saying here is What your mama told you when you were growing up and that is don't put all your eggs in what? one basket right diversify your investments Take the resources God has provided you. Take the money that he's given to you, that he's entrusted to you, and don't invest it all in one place, but invest widely and broadly. You say, wow, Pastor PJ, this seems pretty base for us, right? This doesn't seem super spiritual. And it is pretty basic. I mean, Solomon's getting in the kitchen of our finances, saying, hey, what are you doing with your money? Are you wise with the money that you have? And one of the reasons is, is because God cares about that. And so he's saying, a wise thing for you to do is to diversify your investments. As I mentioned, we use this company called Guidestone here at Compass, and when I was first hired on, they sat down with me, and they said, what's your anticipated retirement age? And I said, I, I don't know. And they said, well, we'll just give you your average retirement age, and because of your current age, we're going to invest, and we're going to spread your investments out, and we're going to go high risk, high reward. Which they then explained to me meant that, uh, hey, there's a chance that this could work out really well for you and a chance that it could work out really badly for you. But because you're young, you've got time, if it goes badly, for you to rebuild your portfolio. But if you're closer to that that age of retirement, that's not going to be what they're going to do, right? They're going to diversify still, but they're going to spread them out. They're going to put them in safer bets. Things that may not give you as high of a reward and higher of a return, but it's a lower risk. It's more of a sure thing for you. But still, nothing really is a sure thing, is it? How about Enron? You guys remember that baseball field down in Houston where the cheaters play? <laughs> it used to be called what? It used to be called Enron Field. It's not called that anymore. Why not? It's not because Minute Maid is, makes better orange juice, and so they bought it out. No, what, what happened? Enron collapsed, didn't they? And there were people that had money invested in Enron. My dad had money invested in Enron, right? There are people that lost significant amounts of money because Enron collapsed. We know the concept of things being a sure thing, right? How about laser discs? Remember when those came out back in the 90s? This is the future of it, the entertainment world. And I remember going over to a friend's house and his parents had bought a laser disc player for like $7,000 at the time. And I just was in awe. I can't believe you guys have a laser player. You guys are cutting edge. Imagine investing everything in laser and how are you doing right now? Yeah, not well. How about one more? And I just watched a, a, a documentary on this on the flight. You guys remember Blockbuster? Yeah. I, I mean, imagine 15 years ago thinking that by 2021, there would be one Blockbuster left in the entire United States. Bend, Oregon, by the way, that's where it is. Super nice lady, runs the store. I don't know if she loves Jesus, but you can pray for her. Watch the watch the documentary and, and then pray for her but this one blockbuster, right? I mean, because what happened? Well, along came a tiny little company that was like, hey, you know what, we're going to mail DVDs to people. We're going to let them say we want this one and this one, and they're going to have to, w- it's going to be like a library. They're going to have to wait weeks to get the DVD that they want to be able to watch the next episode of 24 with Jack Bauer, which was my existence for a while in college. But then we're going to send it to them, and they're going to use it, and they're not going to have to leave their home. Well, that little company was called what? Netflix. Did you all know that Netflix went to Blockbuster and tried to sell their pro- product to Blockbuster? They offered Blockbuster the chance to buy them out. And Blockbuster turned them down. You think they're regretting that decision we're about right now? But imagine, I mean, I'm sure so many people invested in Blockbuster thinking there's no way, Blockbuster's like gas stations, they're not going to go away, people always need gas, people will always need to get in the car on a Friday night and drive to the Blockbuster and walk the aisles and pick up the movie that they want to take home and watch with their family, and yet it's gone. See, man, we need to, to be wise with the money that God has given us, and part of that wisdom is we need to, as Solomon is saying here, not just invest everything in one place, but invest widely and broadly. And the reason is not for us to build our own kingdom, right? We need to get that. That's not what God is after with us. He's not interested in you having more zeros in your bank account, right? What God is after is us using our finances wisely to not build our kingdom, but to expand his kingdom. And that's why he cares about something as base as your stock portfolio. Because your stock portfolio really isn't your stock portfolio, is it? It's whose stock portfolio? It's God's. And so Solomon, God through Solomon is giving us this practical wisdom saying, hey, look, I've given you this money and something that you can do to use it wisely is to invest broadly. Maybe you've got a little, maybe you've got a lot, doesn't matter. Principle remains the same. Make sure that you are taking care of what God has entrusted to you because he cares about how you use it. Our first point this morning is this. Realize God is invested in the stewardship of his resources. God is invested in your stewardship of his resources. Imagine, if you will, men, giving a loan to a brother. Somebody comes to you, sits down with you and says, Hey, look, my kid is turning 16. I'd really like to get them a car and I just don't have the resources to right now. We really need it because I take my car to work, my wife takes her car to work, and it would free him up to be able to take kids to school and you know pick up his siblings from events, and it would just be such a blessing to us. Can I borrow $5,000? And you've got the means to do it, so you say, you know what? Sure. And you write the check and you hand it to him. Well, you're going to have a vested interest in what he does with that money, aren't you? You're going to probably follow up the next time you see him. Hey, were you guys able to get that car? But imagine if his response to you was, well, I know you gave that to me, but I, I thought, man, you know what? This is a, a good seed for me to be able to go to Vegas and try to get maybe double, and then I can get an even safer car for my kids, and, and then they'll be in an even better situation. I'm sure, you know, I thought to myself, you won't mind, because if I come back and I've got the 10, then, and I get the nicer car, then, man, your, your investment in me has, has turned out double, and my kids got a nicer, safer car, and everybody wins. But man, I hate to tell you this, but I went to Vegas and I, I put it all on black and it came up red and I lost it all. How would you feel at that moment? Probably not great, huh? But now put yourself in the shoes of the guy that went to Vegas with the $5,000 loan and lost it all. And now you've got to come back to the brother who lent that money to you, who entrusted that to you and said, hey, here, I'm, I'm giving this to you because you have a need and I want to see you be able to meet that need for your family. And you've got to go back to him now and say, you know what? I, I understand. I came to you and I asked for this for this purpose, and you gave it to me with this intention in mind. And yet, man, I I went to Vegas and I lost it all. How would you feel as the guy having to go back and tell him that, to give an account to that brother who lended you that money? Said, man, I, I I lost it all. I didn't use it the way that you wanted me to use it. Well, man when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for what we've done in the body, whether good or evil, we're gonna have to give an account for our finances. Because God cares about that. He's given us the the money that we have not to build our kingdom, but to expand his. And we're gonna have to give an account for how did we use that? Did we use it well? He has a vested interest in that. In Proverbs 30, We read this, verses 24 through 25. Solomon says, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet, what? They provide food in summer. What's he commending there? He's commending their investment. He's commending what they do with their resources, that they save it up so that they're going to be able to provide in in the mean times, in the times where they don't have much in the cupboard. And he's commending that. Likewise, God wants us to take the the resources that he's provided for us and use them wisely, to invest them shrewdly. And part of that, as Solomon is saying, is as basic as it may sound here, it's it's a biblical principle for us. We need to diversify our investments and not put all of our eggs in one basket lest that fall through on us. And we're left in the end with nothing. And in fact, that's why Solomon says, look, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. In the future, you're going to need that. You're going to have a return on that, is what he's saying. And then verse 2, give a portion of 7 or 8. Why? Because you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Enron collapses. Blockbuster folds, right? So Solomon's saying we need to be shrewd and wise. But again, for what purpose? For our kingdom? No. For the kingdom of God, right? If you think back to when Pastor Mike was preaching through the gospel of Luke, and let your mind go back to Luke chapter 12, there was the parable of the... The, the, the rich fool, right? And what did he do? He built these barns and he began to save. And his barns eventually became full. And rather than saying, look at what God has given me, how can I invest this? How can I scatter it? How can I send it abroad, right? No, I'm going to do what? I'm going to tear these down, barns down. I'm going to build bigger barns for myself. And God shows up and says to him, you fool, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? Solomon has indicted this already in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's given us the picture of the man that works for his kingdom, works for his bank account, works to to build up his possessions, his house, his goods, his status, his power. And then Solomon says, what comes? Death. And what good is it? Nothing. Nothing. You leave it all behind to somebody else. And what are they going to do with it? You can't control that. And so Solomon is encouraging us, urging us, look, diversify your investments. Invest wisely, but not for your kingdom, but for God's kingdom. I mentioned some believe that in 11 verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters. That Solomon's talking about charity here. Give to others, give your bread to other people, and then in the end, you will find it after many days. When you're in need, then others will come alongside you and be able to to feed you as well. And so they say that that he's talking about charity here. Well, I think he's still talking about investments, but I don't think it necessarily is an either or, because I don't think the one excludes the other. Because yes, we're talking about investing, we're talking about our finances, but if we're thinking about our finances in regard to how this is not about my kingdom, but God's kingdom, certainly our generosity in our charity is gonna be a key way that we invest and diversify our investments of what God has given to us, right? We can give to others from what God has given to us and our shrewd generosity, men, can prepare for us an eternal reward as we get to heaven and we hear the, the assessment from Jesus, well done, good and faithful steward. In fact, generosity has to be a part of our investments. Otherwise, we are the rich fool, amassing the money for ourselves and not understanding that God has given us the money to be used for him and for his kingdom. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Mike referenced the parable of the dishonest manager. He talked about how this man was commended and, in fact, even contrasted. And the church was, or the disciples, rather, were rebuked a little bit because Jesus said, look, this guy was more shrewd with his money than, than we are. He used his money for for gain. And Jesus, as Pastor Mike made clear, was not commending dishonesty, but he was saying, hey, maybe we should be doing the same thing. That by using the unrighteous wealth, we might create doors for the gospel that might lead to people being saved so that in eternity, they're going to welcome us into their home because they're going to remember what we did for them. That's some of our wisdom in investing So as you think about your life, it breaks down really everything that you have into three categories. We talk about them. They all start with T. The first one is what? Time, talent, and treasures. Time, talent, and treasures. How are you diversifying your investments in those three areas? Your time that you have. What are you doing with the time that you have for the Lord now that's going to result in eternal reward for you at the Bema Seat? How are you investing your time, not just in one area, but widely, diversely, broadly, in a way that's not for your kingdom. It's not about your agenda, but it's about God's kingdom. It's about his agenda. Or your talents, right? The gifts that you have been given. If we understand Paul clearly in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, look, every single one of you has received a gift for what? For the building up of the body, for the good of the body of Christ, the good of the local church. How are you investing your gifts that the Lord has given you? How are you serving? Where are you serving? Are you serving? God would say he wants you to be serving because that's an investment here and now for his kingdom that's gonna result in eternal reward for you at the bema seat of Christ. And then also, the, the last one is your treasure, your money. How are you using that now, not for your own kingdom, but for the kingdom of God? Well, Pastor PJ, does that mean that I have to, to give everything away? No. Does that mean that I can't buy a nicer house for my family? No. But as you buy that nicer house for your family, you need to be thinking, how is this not just for my kingdom, but for the kingdom of God? How can I use this home? Maybe you can host an HFG now that you couldn't before because your house was too small. Or maybe as you move into that neighborhood, you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is a new mission field for me. I have neighbors to my right and to my left and across the street, and I need to get to know them so that I can invite them over into my home and serve them dinner without masks or any COVID restrictions and we can share the gospel and we can talk about Jesus and maybe they're gonna get saved and now all of a sudden I'm stewarding this resource, this nice home that I've got that yeah, is a blessing to me that I can tangibly enjoy as Solomon has already told us. Look, enjoy the things that you have and I can enjoy those things but then I'm gonna also make sure that I'm stewarding it for the glory of God. And so how are you using your treasure now for what the Lord is gonna reward you for hopefully, Lord willing, eternally? So God is vested in what you are doing. He has an interest in what you are doing with your finances. Because Why? Because he's given them to you. And they're not ultimately ours. They're his, and we are taking care of them for him. Not for our kingdom, but for the expansion of his. Another theme, though, and something that can paralyze us as we think about using our resources wisely, is the theme that Solomon has already hit on and that is things that are inevitable in life and things that are unpredictable in life and that's where he goes in verse 3 he says if the clouds are full of rain they empty themselves on the earth and if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls there it will lie well let's do some unpacking because that's probably a little bit confusing as to the the flow of his argument here if, if clouds are dark, what does that mean outside of Calif- Southern California? It means that it's going to rain, right? In fact, I was in the promised land this week, and we had clouds for a full week, and it rained every day. I saw a blue sky for a, a sliver on the final day that I was there. It was as though God was saying, hey, make sure that you come back. Here's my promise of, of blue skies in the future for you. But while we were there, it was dark, and it rained. Because what? Clouds get gray and Stormy, and I'm not a meteorologist, and I called it biology last night, and I was corrected, but they didn't know it either, because I was corrected by like seven guys, and they all said different things at the same time. But the clouds get dark and then they rain. That's the inevitability, right? He's making an obvious statement. Clouds drop, water. It happens. Rain clouds rain." He's saying, that is the inevitability of life. That's the predictability of life. But then he goes to this other thing, and he talks about a tree. He says, if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls there, it will lie. Well, okay. Yeah, that sounds pretty evident. Solomon, a tree falls over, it's not going to get itself back up. But what he's talking about here is the unpredictability of life. There are things that are inevitable. Rain clouds rain. But when it comes to where a tree is going to fall, is it going to fall to the north or the south? I don't know. But once it falls, there's it going to be. It's going to remain there, right? It's not going to get back up. And so he's talking about the the unpredictability. And some of you, probably at your house, and you can even picture it right now, you've got a tree that you look at sideways every once in a while, thinking to yourself, man, if that thing topples in the wrong direction, things are going to go bad for me or for my neighbor or for my car or for my neighbor's car. And it's unpredictable. We just can't be Sure. Well, a lot of times what that unpredictability men can do is it can paralyze us. And there's two men in view. There's two types of people in view in verse 3. And the first is the person paralyzed by the inevitable, by the rain clouds. This is the person that's, that's concerned about what they know for sure is going to happen. And so they, they paralyze themselves from using their resources for what God wants them to, to use them for because they're so fearful of what they know is coming around the corner. The second type of person is the person that's paralyzed by the unpredictable. And they don't get busy using the resources that God has entrusted to them because they're so paralyzed over anxiety over the what-ifs in life. Well, the reality is, men at the end of the day, there's plenty to worry about. Some of it we know is inevitable. Others, other parts of it we, we can't predict and it's, it's just the what-if scenario. There's There's plenty to fill our minds with on that regard. But the reality is, we can't control any of that, can we? We can't stop the inevitable and we can't predict the unpredictable. So, what should we do? What is Solomon's advice for us? He says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, we need to get sowing and get reaping, which involves point number two being faithful with what's in front of you. Be faithful with that which you can control. Whatever you have today, whatever resources God has put before you today, he's entrusted you with today. Will they be there tomorrow? I don't know. Could the the housing, housing market crash tomorrow? Sure. Could the stock market go down? It absolutely could. But does that change anything about what you have today and what the Lord wants you to do with what you have today? No. What does he want you to do with it? He wants you to be faithful with it. He wants you to steward it wisely. We can look at the storm clouds and worry about the rain that's coming or look at the strong winds and worry that it could topple the tree. But if that's where we spend our time and our energy, we're gonna find that we are ineffective for the Lord in using the resources that he's provided for us, not for the expansion of our kingdom, but for the expansion of his kingdom. There may be some of you out there staring that retirement date in front of you and it's coming at you like a freight train Faster and faster and faster, and maybe for some of you, it could even eventually be forced retirement. And you realize, man, I, I don't think I'm going to be ready yet. And that inevitability is paralyzing you. And and so the mindset that you've embraced all of a sudden is that you are going to scrimp and you are going to save and you are going to claw and you're going to grab and you are going to make sure that that every spare penny you have from the couch cushions is put into that retirement account because that date is coming and you're just you're not sure that you're going to be ready. Well, there's some wisdom there, right? We need to save and we need to be wise and we need to be shrewd with that. But here's the reality, man. If if that has become the, the goal in our lives, if our goal is to make sure that we are comfortable in retirement and that every need is met, and that's why we are scrimping and saving, then we've become ineffective in the resources that the Lord has provided for us. Some of you on the flip side, maybe it's not the inevitable but the unpredictable. You're worried about inflation going up because we're writing checks left and right you're worried about another wave of a pandemic and what that could do to the economy you're worried about the stock markets you're worried about the housing markets you're worried about the things that you just can't predict and so you've developed backup plans upon backup plans upon backup plans upon backup plans and again there can be some wisdom there but if your backup plans are all about you making sure that you are comfortable and your needs are met no matter the scenario that pops up and, and rears its ugly head, then you've missed the point. You've begun living for your own kingdom, not for the kingdom of, of God. Is it wise to prepare for those days? Yes. Is it, is it good to take care of your family and make sure your needs are met? Yes, but that can't be our goal, men. In fact, nowhere is the guarantee that we will have a, a, a safe and secure future financially. I can't stand I wish I could stand up here and tell you that it's God's desire for you to make sure that you are safe and secure financially for the rest of your life but I just I can't do it. If the bottom drops out of every financial market tomorrow, God is still good and still sovereign, yes. If we lose everything, if your house burns down and you lose all your possessions, God is still good and still sovereign, yes. If you lose your job tomorrow, and the mortgage payment payment is due a week later. God is still good and still sovereign, yes? See, man, it's, it's not our comfort in our 401Ks, in our retirement, in our bank accounts that God is primarily interested in when it comes to our resources. What is he primarily interested in when it comes to our resources? He's interested in us using them for his glory. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, doesn't he? He talks about anxieties. Remember that? He says, look, you're worried about what you're going to wear and what you're going to put on the table. and You're worried about how long you're going to live. He says, take a look outside. Take a look at creation and know how much God cares about those things and how much more valuable you are to him than those. And then he gives us this statement that is so comforting to us, right? He says, your heavenly father knows what you need these things. He knows what you need, right? And he's he's kind to provide us those things. And so knowing that our heavenly father knows the things that we need, it's so freeing for us to, to then follow what Jesus says next. He says, you know what? The Gentiles seek after all these things, but you should do what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Now that seek first is not seek that first in the morning and then you can move on to everything else in your life. No, that is that that should be preeminent, which is a word that means that should have first place in every sphere of your life. So that the, the pursuit of the kingdom of God should come first in your parenting, should come first in your grandparenting, should come first in your being a husband, should come first in being A member of this church should come first in your job, should come first in your finances, in your investments, in your retirement. Seeking first the kingdom of God, which means that my primary concern is not my comfort and my needs being met, but it's God's glory in everything. Because that's the ultimate good. And we can be so caught up with fear over what if I lose it all because of the inevitable or because of the unpredictable? And Solomon is warning us against that. And that's why he says, he who observes the wind, the person measuring the wind and watching that tree going, okay, which, which direction is the tree going to fall? They're never going to get busy sowing. And he who regards the clouds, when is the storm coming? When is calamity going to strike? It's inevitable. I know it's coming. I see the clouds. That person is never going to go out and and Reap. Instead, what do we need to do is we need to be faithful with what we have in front of us and, and trust that God knows the things that we need. Trust that the, the inevitable and the unpredictable is not chaotic, but it's ordained by a sovereign God. See, man, the worry and anxiety, they, these things, they, they paralyze our, our productivity. They move us off our, our mission and they invert our investments. They make them all about us instead of about God. Because we fear for our security. We fear for our safety. We fear for our needs being met. And we need to remember and come back to the reality that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. Your heavenly father knows what you need. And so that should free you up to get busy living and being faithful with what he's provided for you. What if I lose everything? What if the stocks fall? They might, but God knows still what you need even if you lose everything in the stock market. What if the housing market crashes? Well, it it might, and you may be upside down in a house that now you don't know what to do with, but God is still good and still knows what you need, even if that happens. Well, my kids are going to grow up and leave the house. Lord willing, yes, they will. But God is still good and knows what they need. And He knows that the burden on your heart is that they would be followers of Jesus. He knows that, and He knows that your time with them is limited. I'm gonna get old and die. Yes, yes, 100% of us will. Or we'll get young and die, one one way or the other. Unless Jesus comes back, we're either gonna fly or die, right? It's one of the two. That's inevitable. Yeah, but but God is still good and knows what you need between now and then. Oh, and by the way, he's still good to bring you through that physical death to something that's better than anything else this earth can provide, right? It's gonna be harder to be a Christian in this country. Yeah, most likely it is. We're already seeing that. But God is still good and knows what you need, even if persecution comes up. At the end of the day, we need to ask all these fears, all these worries that we have about the unpredictable and the inevitable, what what at the end of the day does that change about what our responsibility is for right now? Really, not much. If we live faithfully the way that God wants us to live, we're going to, yeah, we're going to be wise, we're going to prepare, we're going to be like the ant, right? Right? And prepare for, for things that could come up. But man, we're, we're gonna say, what, what do I have in front of me today? I can't stop the inevitable and I can't predict the unpredictable. God's over all that, not me. I make a lousy God when I try to be God in my life. So what do I need to do? I need to be faithful with the things that he's given me today and use them for his kingdom and not mine. The time, men, when I find myself most worried and concerned are when I'm focused on my kingdom and not his kingdom when I'm focused on my savings account, when I'm focused on my security, my comfort, my needs, and I don't have my eyes on what he wants me to do and be doing in, in the, the grand scheme of, of his agenda, of his kingdom. You know, there is a day in the future that's inevitable for all of us. I've alluded to it quite a few times already in this message, and that is that day that we stand before Christ. The Bema Seat Judgment. And right now with the resources that we have, which again, none of them can stop the inevitable or predict the unpredictable, what we have with, with the resources that God has provided, we're gonna be called to account for how we've used those things on that day. How we've invested what he invested in us And so we need to live ready for that day, prepared for that day, so that hopefully on that day, we will hear the assessment from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, saying to us, well done, good and faithful, what's the next word? Servant, which can also be the word steward. Well done, good and faithful steward. Solomon finishes and says, As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, And talk about our limitations. The way that at that moment of conception, God takes physical matter and the eternal spirit and joins that creates the eternal spirit, right? We're not Mormons. We don't have a bunch of of eternal spirits waiting in heaven to be sent down a conveyor belt to to connect with a baby. No, God creates, right, this immortal, that's a better word than, than eternal, this immortal spirit that he joins with physical matter at the moment of conception. Solomon says, do you know what that looks like or how that works? No, of course not, right? He says, well, it's not just that, it's, it's everything. He says, so you, do not, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We don't know what God does, right? So what should we do, Solomon, verse six? In the morning, sow your seed. In that evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Solomon says, get busy being faithful with what God has put in front of you. his kingdom not ours right so that when we do stand before the judgment seat of christ we will hear from our lord and savior well done good and faithful steward let's pray god we thank you for your word for its clarity for its it's it's its applicable nature god i mean how many times have we heard well the bible's not relevant and how relevant is a message like this what we're doing with our our money that you've given to us, what we're doing with our resources that you've given to us, God. Lord, you want us to use them not to build a name for ourselves. I'm reminded of the the Tower of Babel where they got together and they said, let's use all of our resources and all of our, our wealth and all of our material and let's build a name for ourselves. And that's what you couldn't stand. That's what you couldn't tolerate and would not tolerate. Lord, some of us fall into that same trap and we try to amass and build our own towers of Babel in our personal kingdoms. We want our 401k to hit a certain level. We want our stocks to be at a certain place. We want our house to be a certain size or in a certain zip code. We want our car to have a certain price tag associated with it. We want our kids to go to certain schools. Lord, we want to vacation in certain places. Certainly, Lord, it's not that those things are inherently bad or evil or wicked in and of themselves, but they can be if they become our source of of hope, identity, confidence, joy. Instead of you, God. Instead of viewing those things as a, a gift from you. As James says, it's not money that is the root of all evil, but it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so Lord, help us to not love things, not love money, not love a house, not love a zip code, except as an extension of gratitude to you and worship of you for being the the one who gives, as you say also in James, every good and perfect gift. Father, may this be a room full of faithful stewards who hear that commendation from Jesus on that final day when we stand before him.